today on the show, we have Fried Green Tomatoes from 1991 and Steel Magnolias from 1989. Check it out. everyone welcome to brandon at random reviews i am your host brandon griffiths thank you for stopping by i do appreciate it today on the show as i mentioned we've got a couple of chick flicks they were suggested by my one and only sister who is our guest today my first ever guest what an exciting time say hi michelle very happy to be here brandon i'm so glad to hear it okay so um recently you visited the great state of Michigan, very briefly. What, uh, what, what's, what's the scoop on you coming to Michigan and you having people visit from out of town? Like what, what are your, your likes and do not likes? <laughs> well, uh, because both my husband and I are from Michigan and going back means that everyone wants to see us at the same time. It makes it a little bit complicated. So both of our parents are divorced and they live in different locations in the state. Then we have other family and friends that uh, we want to see or want to see us and it makes it very stressful. Um, So that means we don't come as often as we'd like to. And the recent trip we made was for my mother-in-law's wedding. So um, that was, you know, pretty specific reason for us to come back to Michigan. So we didn't, um, you know, have a lot of other plans. Um, right. But when we come back for the holidays and stuff like that, like we we have to kind of limit the time that we're there because if we were there longer, like it just be like an ongoing just constantly visiting everybody and yeah and then people we haven't seen in a while who you know want to see us or you know different things like that so the last summer what we did was we had a party at your house um, Mm -hmm. and just said hey we're gonna be here during this time if you want to see us come here to see us so that we didn't have to you know kind of try to make the rounds in the short amount of time that we are actually in town yeah 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 i mean i thought that that party like went really well like i thought that was a really it was it was perfect for what you know what you were looking for because it's like everybody could come and visit and sit down with you you know it was only you know what like four or five hours maybe yeah people if people wanted to come see you it was kind of like they couldn't do the thing where they kind of put the ball in your court and make you say hey you know you should stop and see me sometime if i'm you know if you're in town and you know all that stuff because i mean that gets to be just very tedious what about when um i mean so obviously christmas is a hassle you know you've gotta you gotta do all the stuff with the um like gifts and things like that if you don't if you don't plan, like what we've been doing the last few years is sending stuff. We'll buy stuff on Amazon and we'll just send it directly to who we're buying it for. <laughs> Except that and, our families can't really understand how to do that. It's only us. that. Oh yeah, it really is. I mean, mom, mom did an okay job with that. She didn't seem to have too hard of a time, but it, it's just, 
it's so foreign to people. They feel like their shipping address has to match their billing address or something, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't really have to be like that. Well, or that the name has to, right? Like, I I have to send this to Michelle because she's the one receiving it. And it's like, well, no, it can go to whoever the hell you want it to. Right, exactly. And it's like, I mean, my, my big thing with that whole thing is like, we don't need to be wrapping these gifts. You know what I mean? Like we, we should, we should be put, we should be putting, you know, who we're going to send it to. Like I would send it to Dan if it was for you, which is her husband, by the way. And I would not have any expectations that you guys are going to wrap those gifts, but you, I know you guys were doing that last year. And it's like, to me, it's like, it's, it's a box. We don't need to bring wrapping well, paper into this. You consider like it's not always a box, right? It comes in like the envelopes or whatever. And then my obsessive compulsive self cannot just have a bunch of random packages under my tree. I need things to oh. look nicer than that. So that was part of it too. And I think if I remember correctly, mom would put something of like, she would address it to me, but would say Christmas gifts or something like that. So it would say Michelle Christmas gifts. And that I knew that it was for me and I shouldn't open it. But um, our dad's wife, she didn't get it. And so there was something she sent me and I was like, what? It was addressed to me. And I mean, I think the difference is, is people don't understand that I get 10 Amazon packages a week. Right. So if I get something addressed to me from Amazon, I'm assuming it's something I've ordered. So I, I opened it and I was like, well, I didn't order this. And then they were like, oh, yeah, that was us because I couldn't figure out who had sent it because right. it didn't it didn't match your protocol or mom's protocol. So I was like, okay, well, maybe it's Dan's mom or maybe it's dad and Amanda. And yeah, finally figured out it was dad and Amanda, which I am using the coffee cup that they got me right, right here, right now. So, Oh, well, that's exciting. That's good. Um, so I mean, it's like we did that. We did all the, 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 you know, we started, I should say, doing that with, with the giving of gifts and like sending it through Amazon and trying that out and seeing what we need to do to make that work. And I mean, like you said, like I get packages, like all of a sudden, you know, like I get, do you get like the daily digests from USPS of like what your uh, mail is going to be? No, uh, I did for a minute, but maybe I think when we moved, it stopped and I never started it again. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause it was, I mean, I get that. And it's like, I will get something and it'll say it in the packages. And I'm like, what in fuck's name is this? You know? And I like, look at it and it's like, it's got some merchant name on it that is like clearly an alias of where I actually bought it from. So it's like harder to figure out, you know? So it's like, I have to Google, like, what is this, you know, this seller, you know, what are, what did they sell me basically? And try and do some like, detective work apparently so it's like i'll get i was getting packages and it's just like i opened a few packages because i I didn't even realize it and then like half the time the amazon guy delivers packages to the wrong house and i'm like the people down the street will open the open the package without even looking at the name on it which i know i do like if i'm expecting a package especially it's like yeah there's one sitting on my front doorstep i'm just gonna open it and so I've had them come down a couple of times and, and say, hey, we got this. Sorry, we opened it up. And 
It's just every, it's so funny because every time that they've gotten something, they've opened it and it's been like some Batman thing. <laughs> and it's like, they just always kind of give me this look like, who is this guy? Like, what what is his... Uh... Well, we have the problem with the two of us and we have, you know, separate Amazon accounts. Like they're under one account, but we have separate profiles. And so a lot of times, and this hasn't happened as much lately, but... I would be expecting something, not look at the name, open it up. And like, there were a couple of times where it was a gift for me or, you know, something like that, but it was actually addressed to Dan. So that was, that was problematic. I I know you're a big gift giver anyway. So that's something that's like pretty important to you. So, um, whereas it's it's, like, sorry to interrupt, but like, Perfect example of that. Like last year I was getting gifts for Dan and I had already lined up what I was going to get him. It was like all stuff from his wish list because I couldn't really think of much that I wanted, you know, like that I knew of that he would like, you know, and that's the problem is I never know what you guys have that, you know, I don't need to buy for you because you've already got it. But it's like I bought I, I like was going to get him all these gifts from his wish list. And then dad stopped me and was like, hey, do you have any ideas for Dan? And I'm like, right. Okay, so like we had to, I had to switch, and Dad did not understand. I was like, "No, no, Dad, these are these are thoughtful gifts that I'm getting for Dan. The, the gifts that you're going to be getting, Dan, are the <laughs> gifts from his wish list. Like that's, I'm sorry to tell you, that's what that means." And he he was not wrapping his head around it at all, right? Because so. you were just literally buying things off from Dan's Amazon wish list that Dan was putting on there to placate everybody who asks for lists because they don't know what to get him. He hates that. He Oh, he does. I know. Absolutely. He he wants you to find something that, um, you know, is really going to speak to you. Uh, But that's also bit him in the ass in the past too, because he was getting really annoyed that all we were doing, this was like, I don't know, five or seven years ago or something. He was getting really annoyed that we were just looking at our phones all the time. And Mm -hmm. so he got, both of us uh Nintendo DSs and you know to like be able to play games together looking at a little glowing screen instead of just looking at our phones all the time separately the problem right. is that i never really played video games um i played goldeneye on N64 and a little bit of halo that was about the extent of it and that was about you know a few hours total. So right. the video game, like I don't know how to play video games. So like he got me a couple of games and then he got a couple of games that like we could play together. But like, I literally don't know the functionality of a console. Like I don't know what buttons buttons to push. I don't know where I'm going. Like, you know, unless it's Super Mario Brothers or something like that, like I'm pretty inept. And even then I'm not good. So those sat in like we used them for a couple of weeks and then uh they sat in drawers and then he ended up I think eBaying them or something. So that's one of those times where I would have rathered he just get me something from my list than try to right get try and surprise that, you with yeah. something you really like. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean that, that's kind of problematic. I mean like that that is the hard thing with Dan is I know that about him. So it's like I want to try and not get things off of his list, but at the same time I think like last year I was just I was swamped or so like I don't know what I was doing, but I was like I couldn't think of anything and I just 
I was like, screw it. I got to get him something. I kind of want to get this shopping over with. So it's like, why not just get him what's on his list? And at least I know he'll have some enjoyment of it. But hey, I guess we should probably get to talking about some movies here. So first things first is Fried Green Tomatoes from December 27th, 1991, directed by John Avnet. And he he made some a few movies that I I've I've seen very few of them, but The War Up Close and Personal, Red Corner, 88 Minutes, which I have seen, Righteous Kill, which I have seen, and Three Christs, which I have not heard of ever. Have have you heard of any of those ones, Michelle? Up close and personal, I have. That that is a familiar oh. name, but it's yeah, I mean like I was just wondering if maybe you'd seen any of them, but Nope, not at all. Okay. So writer of this story was Fanny Flagg, who actually authored the novel, and also Carrie Sobieski. Uh, Some notable movies by Carrie Sobieski are Annie from 1982, The Toy, which I I know I know that movie, but I cannot think for the life of me who is in that, like who's the star of that movie. Apparently there was a Born Identity TV movie from 1988 that I had forgotten all about, and she did that, and she did Sarah Plain and Tall, which I believe is the Glenn Close one yep. with Christopher Walken. Okay, so... Um, but that's all Carrie Sobieski, not... Right, right. Okay. Yeah, so I didn't really get into... Because, like, Fanny Flagg, I, yeah, she was the author, so I figured it was better to go with what the screenwriter was doing. Yeah. I mean, what what are some of the other books that Fanny Flagg has done? It's, it's not a ton that people would have really heard of uh okay fried green tomatoes at the whistle stop cafe i think was her kind of bigger one but i think it was probably bigger after the movie um right. she does a lot of you know those sorts of books set in the south with you know strong per- protagonists you know different things like that so i mean there there are a handful they're all okay i think some are better than others but i've read a lot of them now after you know, starting with Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe, which is the name of the book. Right. Okay. Yeah. That, um, I knew that. I mean, I knew, like, I didn't know if she had, if any others had been made into movies, and I assumed not. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like it, but we've got producer, and I only mention producers when they really have some standout movies. Jordan Kerner produced this movie. <laughs> yeah, and he's got some standouts. He is, he he made all of the Mighty Ducks movies. He made George of the Jungle with Brendan Fraser and Leslie Mann. Inspector Gadget with Matthew Broderick. Snow Dogs with Cuba Gooding Jr. And The Smurfs, the computer animated one from, I don't know, 10 plus years ago. Probably 15 now, if I really think about how long it's been since things have happened. Also, the score of this movie, I really actually enjoy the score it it doesn't feel out like it's not at all um like every once in a while i'll hear a score that's just it it doesn't fit like it needs to you know it's just like it just doesn't resonate with me and so thomas newman he made um or he did the scores for the player shawshank redemption cinderella man american beauty the green mile finding nemo skyfall Spectre in 1917. I have to say, I, I don't know about the player. I've I've seen the player before. It wasn't that great. But like the rest of these movers, that. 
I think it's Tim Robbins was in it. Oh, it okay. was not. It was not a particularly great movie. It was just. I mean, it's about a guy who's a player, as far as I remember, and it just doesn't really do much for me. But the last, like, did you guys ever watch uh, 1917? No, we never did. Oh my goodness. So good. I love it. It's it's like one of those movies that's shot to make it look like it's one continuous tracking oh, shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's very cool to watch, and it's it's very intense. It's just super interesting. And... Okay, so getting onto the cast. Well, hold we on. Have, I want to hold on. on. Let me let me let me talk about this score a little bit because I actually made yeah. a, a specific note that there's something with the score that I think really helps you kind of understand the the plot of the movie, um, okay. and does a good job of that. There, what I what I also find interesting about the soundtrack is that the soundtrack for the historical parts of the movie where we go back in time and and hear about the characters in the past just seem to really like elicit like when there's one song that's like the lyrics are cool down down cool down and everyone is you know sweaty and disgusting and you can just think of like the Alabama heat in August and how miserable that must have been in the 30s pre-air conditioning and like it just gives you that that feeling so I just wanted to note that I think good job on the the score soundtrack there to kind of elicit that feeling from oh yeah absolutely I agree um so wait wait was that your is that your note for it or did you have more notes okay all right so cast we have the one and only kathy bates by the way she plays evelyn couch she was in dick tracy misery north which we saw in theaters if i recall correctly right because reba mcintyre was in it (laughs) because reba mcintyre was in it michelle is a lifelong reba mcintyre fan and she used to be crazy reba mcintyre i was i was almost batman level almost batman level that that i am so and then she was in titanic which i had forgotten she was even in titanic at all and then the water boy with adam sandler about schmidt i have four asterisks by that title. Can you guess why, Michelle? Does she play four characters? She gets nude in that movie. Oh, that's right. That's right. I remember that. Yes. So I, I don't I don't think I I saw that or if I did, I only have seen it once, but yeah, that was quite a quite a thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so and then Revolutionary Road I've never seen, but it's got Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet just like in Titanic. So So one one very important note to mention, uh she played the unsinkable Molly Brown in Titanic, which okay. that role was originally supposed to go to uh I had no only idea. Reba McIntyre, but her schedule didn't allow and so they recast with Kathy Bates. Wow, that's shocking. Oh yep. my goodness. I wouldn't, I would never have guessed Reba McIntyre at all. I mean, even though we just talked about her, it was, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, I think for, for me, the, this is, this is what's the problem about this, this cast, I guess maybe it's not a problem, is that I, for these people, these are the, this is the role that defines them for me, right? So like the only other Kathy Bates role that really I think about is Misery, as kind of being um, right, uh, you know, high. Obviously, understanding she's been in a ton of things. Um, she was in the office. She's been in other shows and and you know different things oh, like yeah. that. But like this is kind of the epitome of 
most of the the four main characters oh yeah uh, the actors that play them for me yeah exactly and i mean that's the thing is it's like I try and make sure that I figure out what people are in before, you know, like obviously I look at the IMDb and the filmography and all that stuff, but like I'll look and try and find like, what, what do I really think of when I think of that person? You know what I mean? What, what jumps out at me is like, Oh yeah, right. They were in that movie. That's definitely what I think of. And I mean, it's, but it's tough to do. Cause there's some that it's like, I haven't seen the movies in so long that they're not fresh in my mind. So they just kind of, skip on by but then we have mary stewart masterson who plays imogene iggy threadgood and uh, to be more specific it's imogene louise threadgood my goodness i'm a thousand a thousand apologies for that i i had not taken note of louise but okay <laughs> so she was in a movie that i've only ever heard of from the the popular video board game seen it which is Benny and June with Johnny Depp. Right. And then the uh, postman. What? Oh. Uh, you, you missed one. And this is very important. Um, okay. She was in Bed of Roses with Christian Slater, which was a terrible movie. The only reason I know about that is because our mom used to watch that quite regularly. But she was also in that. Yeah, our mom used to watch these two quite regularly as well. And that would be why I have fried green tomatoes. I realized as I watched it through that I had seen every single scene of the movie in its entirety. And then I never saw the movie beginning to end. So it was like, I caught the beginning one time, caught the middle another time, caught the middle right. of the middle. You know, it's like, which is why I wanted crap. to talk about these because I knew you had seen both of them, but I right. figured you probably hadn't really sat down and talked through both of them. And I figured, you know, maybe your listeners may want to talk about something other than Rocky and Predator at some point. Hey, I've covered so many. Oh my gosh. It's it's been all I, I tried to dabble. I tried to get into the forest. Gun. I get, get into the Tom Hanks of it all. Everybody loves Tom Hanks. That's true. That's true. But anyway, she was also Mary Stewart Masterson was also in The Postman with Kevin Costner, which I've never seen, but I have heard based on many accounts that it is a horrible movie. <laughs> and so, I think you know that I am not a huge Kevin Costner fan. He ranks ditto. right up there with uh, Keanu Reeves for me, which I think you've mentioned in a previous uh, yes, podcast. Uh, my, I don't, I don't want to say dislike for Keanu Reeves. I just don't think he's a very good actor. Kevin Costner. I just, I really like, for instance, what is the, the Yellowstone show? Like, Oh I've yeah. It's really, really good, but I don't want to dive into that because no. I don't really like Kevin Costner. So like everybody else is going to have to bring their a game to make up for him. Right. Exactly. That's see, that's the problem is it's like, there are movies where I'll say I that are that he's in that I'll say, I don't like him. And because of that, I like the movie far less than I think I would. Right. You know, it's like, it's like, Dan, if I try and tell Dan that <laughs> Kevin Costner is terrible, he gets really up in arms about Bull Durham and Field of Dreams and tries to tell me that they are, you know, they're amazing movies and all this. And I'm like, I'm not saying they're not amazing movies. I'm saying Kevin it's, it's Costner weighs Kevin them Costner. down. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, it, think of how much better they would have been if they'd exactly. found somebody else. And I could... 
I could honestly, and I don't know, I, you haven't gotten to the episode yet, but there, and I'll spoil it for, for now, but because it won't go into details, but in my Uncle Buck episode, I go into all of the, the supposed actors that were supposed to be considered for Uncle Buck. Mm-hmm. And the num like I'll send them to you after we're done recording today, just so you can see <laughs> how ridiculous the list of people supposedly was supposed to be. But it's like the movie came out in '89, and it had like right. Jim Carrey on it. Yeah, who would have like been what seventeen? He was. He was. I looked it up. He was around. Like he was doing stuff. He was, but he was not known by any fucking buddy. He right. wasn't even on In Loving Color yet. You know, like I was like. Nobody's nobody's considering him. Anyway, right. I digress. So Mary oh. Louise Parker plays Ruth Jameson, and she was in The Client, Boys on the Side, which is another one that mom watched <laughs> incessantly. Yeah. Yeah. Red Dragon, which is that Hannibal Lecter movie with Ed Norton, I think. And and then the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford on a quiet Monday afternoon while he was hanging a picture or some shit. That's that's what you get for naming a movie that. That's right. what you get. I'm going to make fun of you. Okay, so, and then she was in, she was really big in Weeds. Like, that was her yeah. huge role. I mean, yep. I never saw the show, but I've always heard people say they really love it and they think it's just wonderful and that she's great in it and all this stuff. She is one. I know you had this, this conversation about Ted Danson and uh, Matthew Perry um, about are they attractive this is mm-hmm. Mary Louise Parker. I think it kind of fits into that. Sometimes she's really attractive. Other times she's. Yeah, I could agree. Cause like I saw her on the covers of like, you know, the DVD covers of uh, weeds seasons. And she was, she looked unbelievable. Like I couldn't believe yeah. how good she looked. And I didn't even realize it was her in the show. And then I looked it up. I'm like, are you shitting me? That chick from fried green tomatoes is in this. <laughs> right. Like, are you fucking kidding? So yeah. I mean, is there, is there anything else? Like with Mary Stuart Masterson that, you know, no, Mary Louise Parker no, would jump I, out. I think Boys on the Side was the one that I was yeah. thinking of. But like, again, like with her weeds, I think is the the one I think of with her now. Right. Exactly. And that's and I mean, Boys on the Side, it stands out because let me just be forthcoming and saying our mother is a lesbian She's a gay person. She always gravitated towards these movies that had this like these undertones and overtones of like, you know, that that lifestyle. So it's like I always whenever I see a movie like I'm not even exaggerating. Anytime I see a movie that I don't know anything about and I dive into it and I watch it, I'll tell my mom about it. If there's if there's gay <laughs> subject matter, I'll just say, and yeah, I, I think you might like, like that movie. Yeah, we're uh, we're not laughing because it's funny. We're laughing because uh, she didn't come out until we were much older. But this was kind of the sort of stuff that was around our ho- our home, uh, right? Our entire lives. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. So I have noted here that Jessica Tandy is our next cast member and she is chronically old. She <laughs> she I mean she's she's not with us anymore I don't think, but she Oh. No, she's not. And she but she is just like the epitome of an old lady in this movie. Like I can't get over how how much like everything about her resonates that she's just super fucking old and it's kind of ridiculous. But she was in, you know, she plays Ninny Threadgood which I don't remember what her real name. It, that's it. That's all you ever. Oh, Nini, okay. And um, I think that's all you ever heard of. 
as in the book too. Oh, okay. All right. So um, she was in The Birds, which I probably wouldn't recognize her if I saw her in The Birds. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know that. Uh, She was in Cocoon, which I did know that because that Mm -hmm. was from the 80s. So that would be more recent looking Jessica Tandy. And obviously Driving Miss Daisy is the one that like people think about when they hear Jessica Tandy. Did you have a plot synopsis for us by chance or do you have more to talk about? Before we go into the plot synopsis, uh, I just Mm -hmm. have to say that I wrote down the ages of the actors that were playing the characters, the four main characters. Um, So Kathy Bates was 44 years old. Okay. Uh, that really disturbs me because she's only five years older than I am now, and she looks about 60 in this movie. Um, yeah. Jessica Tandy was playing an 82, 83-year-old. She was 83, so right on point. Good job. Uh, mm-hmm. Mary Stuart Masterson was 26, and Mary Louise Parker was 28. They play younger and older versions of themselves, and I actually think they do a decent job of, like, making them seem younger, you know, teenagers at the, at one point, And then, you know, in their thirties, uh, later, the other, right. uh, cast members I wanted to mention, um, buddy Threadgood played by Chris O'Donnell, obviously <laughs> known by, uh, Brandon as, uh, mm-hmm. Dick Grayson or Robin and Batman and Robin, uh, three must and Batman forever. Hold on. Oh, 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 sorry. Batman okay. forever was where he premiered. Got it. Go ahead. Uh, Three Musketeers. uh, And then Mm -hmm. he's been in NCIS LA for a while. Uh, He kind of had a huge hiatus for a while before he came back for that from what I know. Yeah, he hadn't been in anything that I could remember. Um, I... Uh, I'm going to say this, and I I don't want to oversell it. Chris O'Donnell is a god fucking awful actor. I don't like him at all. <laughs> like I don't <laughs> I don't care for his acting, and it doesn't help the whole Batman, you know, being Robin, yeah. all that stuff. Like the the way the things they did in those movies were, it was bad. I mean, they didn't really they didn't really have good writing, yeah. and then I'm sure the direction wasn't good enough to like say, hey, Chris, could we could we run that back? Could we do another take on that? Cause that was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And they didn't do any of that. So anyway, I just, I had to make it a point to say, and by the way, it, it, since you looked up Chris O'Donnell, did you by chance look up the three Musketeers movies or movie? Cause I'm, I'm really curious to see if we can think of who was in that with him. Oh, uh, it was Gabriel Byrne was D'Artagnan. No, no, you're thinking oh, of the man in Iron Mask. Man in Iron Mask, damn it. Yeah. Uh, it was I think Kiefer Sutherland was in it. Kiefer, yep, Kiefer Sutherland. Wasn't it Charlie Sheen? It, yes, that sounds there was another. Right. There was another guy whose face I can see, but I can't, I don't know his name. Like, and I'm not sure I would know it otherwise because right. uh, Chris O'Donnell played D'Artagnan in that. Like he was the, the remaining. Right, guy. right. Yeah, okay. So um, then- uh, Mama Threadgood was played by Lois Smith, uh, who I finally know from Twister, which is one of my all-time guilty pleasure movies. I yep, I noted. I think I noted that in my notes that that she was that lady. That, that uh, she's been in a lot, like a character actor in a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, um, as small parts. The one that I wanted to mention that I thought was really weird is Reverend Scroggins, who has you know pretty. I mean, a part, but like not a huge part. It's played by mm. a guy named Richard Re- Real, and 
he he has 419 titles on imdb this Holy guy shit. has been in so much shit and is still like he's got three credits just in 2022 um he's got i mean like he's just in in stuff everywhere i remember him from an episode of the golden girls another major obsession of mine um, of course and then the two other characters i wanted to mention specifically were um missy uh who is evelyn's friend that she goes to all the weird classes with not seeing her in anything else until orange is the new black um she okay. was like the yoga teacher in that i only watched the first couple of seasons because that really annoyed me um and then Frank Bennett, uh, who is the villain in this, uh, was played by a guy named Nick Cirrus, I think. Okay. Uh, which doesn't really matter as far as the guy's name, unfortunately, because this man will never be anyone other than Frank Bennett. He right. plays the character so well. And it's so iconic that, like, I saw him in an episode of Justified with Timothy Oliphant. Old, yeah. uh, I think you mean Fantastic. Oh, um, do I? <laughs> yes. the, uh, but he was—he's in that, and he's like kind of a light-hearted character to juxtapose against. Uh, timothy oliphant's character and i'm like i can't take him seriously he needs to die he right you know he's he's a terrible person um right. so yeah wow well that's i mean richard real i do know from office space he plays the guy oh right 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 yeah so yeah that's one thing i do remember him from yeah he's in tons of stuff all right so this movie is can i just give you a, a plot synopsis here it focuses on two kind of parallel stories, one in the present time in the late 80s, early 90s in Alabama with a middle-aged woman who's kind of going through a bit of a crisis and befriends an old woman in a nursing home who starts telling her stories about these women from the same area in Alabama uh, in the 20s and 30s. And the stories about those women kind of help support the uh, Evelyn Couch, the um, middle-aged woman in the present time, to kind of find her voice and uh, improve her life. The kind of big thing in the past time is that one of the characters is abused and her husband is presumably murdered and everyone thinks that her friend murdered her husband and that's part of the kind of later plot is the murder of the husband who is frank bennett who is a terrible terrible human right as as we have established yes so okay. the movie the movie starts where um you see evelyn couch and her husband ed are lost in whistle stop which is uh where the previous past content takes place and one of my favorite lines in the movies is they're they're lost because evelyn's giving directions and she messes them up and uh her husband says oh you have a negative sense of direction and i've used that on on many occasions to describe something um <laughs> they're they're visiting uh aunt's uh aunt vesta ed's aunt vesta in a nursing Which, what, home what kind of fucking name is vesta by the it's way it's very southern right like some Apparently. of these names you know you think of well, some we of haven't this. even gotten into the second movie yet we'll talk about some fucking names <laughs> in that, yes, that's true. that is true so vesta hates evelyn 
And so Evelyn goes and sits in uh, kind of the seating area in the nursing home. And this old woman uh, starts randomly talking to her. And what I thought was really funny about this is this is the sort of shit that I do that drives you crazy because I will talk to anyone at any time. So Ninny comes out and she says, oh, you know, they took my gallbladder and then she says, oh, have you ever had a fleet enema? Like some really which, inappropriate, crazy Which, things. by the way, total old lady things to say. Like, absolutely. absolutely. Especially in a nursing home. It's like, yes. let's just latch onto this person and tell them about the gross shit that's been happening to my body. And but they're, also, they're... you know she is trying to get Evelyn's attention somehow. And right. what I think Kathy Bates does a really good job of kind of being, like she shows that she is trying to be this mild-mannered, polite Southern woman who's sitting there and listening, but she's kind of giving one-word answers, and um, right. it's it's the like current that oh that's crazy sort of thing, right? When you're trying to get somebody to shut up, right? Um, yes. And but then Nini gets her because she says, "Oh, does the the name Iggy Threadgood ring a bell?" Evelyn says, "No," and she said, "Oh, you remember her." And then she goes on to say something about, well, you know, never would have thought that she'd be accused of killing that man. And she hooks Evelyn Couch. Right. I mean, there's nothing else she could possibly be doing but trying to hook Evelyn Couch because it's just like, who else would start off a story that way? Who's like, oh, yeah, never would have thought she'd have murdered a man or, you know, like something like that. It's like, yeah, that's just you're clearly like dying for an audience. Yeah, absolutely. So then she starts telling the story of Iggy Threadgood. And really the the story from the past does focus on on Iggy, but it's it's Iggy and Ruth. So what's really interesting is that in a lot of the notes on IMDb or Wikipedia or whatever, they talk about how the director didn't really want to establish this specifically as a lesbian relationship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. But there were some definite overtones there. Mary Stuart Masterson and Mary Louise Parker and Fanny Flagg all wanted it to go that direction. And rewatching it, now I spent a few years um, since I'd watched it. It's much more overt than I think I realized as a kid. Oh yeah. Um, But, and I, I knew right. Like after I was older that there were those, those kind of signals there, but everybody in everything I read was like, well, in the book, it was much more overt. And I, I don't agree with that. I think it was, I don't know. It was there, but it was never specifically spelled out. Like it was that, you know, they lived together and, um, you know, shared their life together and that sort of things. And they had a, a very, you know, partnership, spousal kind of relationship, but it wasn't like it was spelled out that they were lovers or they were, you know, a couple specific. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, I, I find it strange because like, I don't know, didn't they say Fanny Flagg was like, she worked on this movie, right? It wasn't just based yeah. on her book. And so I always find it interesting. Like I've seen a couple of movies where the author did the screenplay and basically elaborated on what the book couldn't basically without being mm-hmm. very obvious. And it's always really interesting because it's like, it makes you wonder like, you know, how many of these, these books and stories out there are like, you know, they're missing pieces that would have really filled in some blanks, you know? Oh, well this book. So this is really interesting. Um, I actually, it's one of the few, you know, places I will say it, you can, you know, 
record this for history that uh, the movie is better than the book. And I will explain why, because the book has far more characters. It doesn't just focus on the Iggy Ruth relationship. It goes into far more of uh, Evelyn and Ninny's backstory, which, you know, is helpful character development, but it doesn't really move the plot along. There's also a lot about Sipsy and Big George and their families, um, so much so that there are entire chapters devoted to, I think, Big George's sons or brothers and like them going away and and stuff like that. And um it's just, it's very, very different. So really the movie is only a piece of that. Um, right. And I think they do a good job. The other, you know, most of the things track the book, but for instance, you know, characters' ages change a little bit or or things. Um, Naturally, I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we go back to Whistle Stop through Ninny's story and she says, you've got to understand Iggy through the eyes of her brother Buddy. Buddy is infatuated with Ruth, who is there visiting for the summer. And they're, you know, kind of kissy facing on the bridge and Ruth's hat flies off and Buddy gets his foot stuck in the train tracks and gets hit by a train and dies. Uh, And obviously that like puts into motion kind of the rest of the movie. So, So wait, hold on a second here. All right. So why, why is it when this scene unfolds, we see Chris O'Donnell get his foot stuck between the tracks and they show him struggling, struggling. Yep. yep. And then they show him <laughs> unlace his boots yep. and remove the shoe and leave it in the track. And yet he still somehow dies. Like, well, but if you look at it, what drives me crazy, first of all, I don't understand how his foot got stuck because he literally had to like put his foot in there. Right. Secondly, um, they, when he gets his foot out, he should have, uh, dove to the right if he you know looking at the the train he should have dove to the right Right. from the tracks and when what you see is him diving to the left in front of the train right Right. it's as if he was sacrificing himself for the story yeah yeah exactly um uh so then um the plot goes back to um present times where Evelyn Couch, Kathy Bates' character, is trying to take all of these classes to improve her marriage because her husband's an asshole and she's, I think, been, you know, a stay-at-home mom her entire marriage. Uh, Very indicative of kind of the times with, you know, you just got married and had kids at that point. You didn't really have your own life. Her kid has... uh, grown up and moved out of the house she doesn't feel like she has any purpose um and she's so she's trying to do all of these things and the first scene that you see with them in a class the woman teaching the class is actually fanny flag oh okay and uh one thing that uh missy evelyn's friend says during this scene is that uh assertive Southern women, you know, it's a class for assertive Southern women, which is a contradiction in terms, which I I thought was, was kind Mm -hmm. of funny. Um, And then we go back to the past. Evelyn goes to visit, visit Ninny again. And this is where Iggy meets Frank Bennett for the first time. And uh, she 
says, uh, he says something about, oh, you're looking mighty fine today. And she says, are you a politician or does lion just run in your family? (laughs) I think that's, that's a a good line. Um, And during that time, so Ruth is there for the summer. Ruth learns that Iggy is a decent person. You know, they're throwing food to a tent city outside of town. (laughs) The one thing I noted in that scene is that the caboose is two cars back from them. You'd be pretty sure that somebody would be in the caboose and seeing them throwing food and like put a stop to it. But um, so lots, lots of back and forth uh, for a while uh, with Nini telling Evelyn the story. You know, you're kind of getting more understanding of the relationship between Ruth and Iggy, there's the the scene where Iggy gets the honey out of the tree. And I think you've made note of this too, that Mary Stuart Masterson ended up doing all the stunts for the bees herself because the double quit like the day of. Right. Um, and <laughs> I said, she calls Ruth, Ruth calls Iggy, oh, you're just a bee charmer. And I said, oh, more like a Ruth charmer because uh, she's obviously, they're both. Yeah. Oh yeah, most definitely. And there, I mean, this is this is the point where I made the note that there are definite lesbian themes in Ruth and Iggy's relationship, whether they claimed it was there or not. Right. Yeah. So one thing that I uh, I remember seeing this movie not in the theater, but we were on a a school shopping trip. My mom, me, and another one of my mom's friends and her daughters, uh, and. We were at a hotel. Uh, it was probably on HBO. And I think it was probably, you know, about a year after it came out or so, because I wasn't too old. I was probably 10 or 11, but I was enthralled by it and like wanted to keep watching it. Um, even though, like, I think they were trying to go to bed and stuff. And I was like, no, I, I want to finish this movie. Um, so kind of <laughs> has been, you know, part of my life since since day one. So, so I mean, I have next Ruth, Ruth and, and Frank Bennett get married yep yep and she moves away and so they're you know they it's pretty evident when when they visit ruth that something's been going on with you know frank abusing her in some fashion you know mostly just physical abuse you can see she has a shiner on her face yeah giant giant black eye right he's trying to hide and it's super awkward because here's like one of her best friends and she won't even like open the door to like take the pie from her when Iggy comes to visit and right. like won't let her into the house. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a very unsettling scene and you just know that things, things, not good things are going to come of this. So Ruth sends a letter. She sends a, like within, you know, a few months, perhaps uh, we don't really know the timeline um, with an obituary saying that Ruth's mother died. And she sends, uh, she rips out a page from her Bible and she underlines a couple of lines from the book of Ruth. And it says, where thou, where thou goest, I will go where thou lodgest, I will lodge thy people shall be my people, which is a, you know, coded message to Iggy to say, I got to get out of here. Come get me. So Iggy takes her brother, Julian, her older brother, Julian and, um, big George, and goes to Valdosta, Georgia to pick up Ruth. They're packing everything up and Frank Bennett comes back um, and, you know, he starts to hit Ruth and Iggy tries to attack him and Julian and Big George come in and threaten Frank Bennett and Frank Bennett 
you know, kicks Ruth down the stairs. And when they go to leave, Iggy says, if you ever come near her again, I'll kill you. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the whole the whole kicking down the stairs thing was pretty fucked up to watch. Like, it was just yeah. like, holy shit, because this guy well, it's, knows it's, it's not like, yeah, it's not like he's not aware, but. Um, well, and he probably doesn't know that she's pregnant at that point, but the audience does. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I I see. I got the impression that he had to have known because when he came later on. Well, if you see, there's a scene where you see him hiding out and watching them. Right. I think that's how he knows that there's a baby. Um, right. <clears throat> I don't think he knew. I think that was like Ruth found out she was pregnant and she was like, oh, shit, I can't be here anymore. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So then we go back to Evelyn. Um, she's she's doing more of her classes. This is the scene where they're in a room of, you know, little old Southern women and they're they've all got hand mirrors in their uh in their hands. And uh the instructor asks them to straddle their mirrors so that they can look at their vaginas. And um, Evelyn kind of loses it. Uh, she goes and sees, uh, she has a, an episode at the grocery store where some young guy treats her like shit and she loses her, her shit and uh, starts crying and whatever and goes and talks to Nini. And one of the things she's talking about, you know, I hide candy bars all over the place and I just feel useless and yada, yada. And she says, I can't even look at my own vagina. And Nini says, well, now, honey, I can't help you with that, <laughs> uh, which, which I thought was great. But Nini says, you know, I think you're going through the change. You need to get some hormones and some stress tabs. Uh, and what I kind of realized from this this rewatch was that Evelyn has literally nobody to support her. No, um, not at all. He, you know, her husband does barely even gives her the time of day. Her friend oh, yeah. Missy, um, you know, doesn't. You know, she's around, but like even the people, it doesn't seem like she group, really. She doesn't yeah. really seem like she gets it. You know, no, like she doesn't. Not at all. Yeah. Um, and so Ninny's like the first person that Evelyn's really had probably in her life um, that's been supportive and, you know, is kind of teaching her these lessons through the lens of Iggy and Ruth uh, being strong women 50 years before. Right. Um, so then back in uh, past times, uh, kind of some more racially charged uh, conversations where uh, Grady Kilgore, who's the politician, a good friend of Iggy, is complaining about Iggy and Ruth serving to colored people outside the cafe that they own. And you can, you know, definitely tell that Grady has some racist uh, feelings, but he's also making a show of it for the other people in the cafe. Because he right. doesn't want anybody to know that he sat down by the river and cried when the colored man that raised him died. Um, and one of the best lines in the uh, movie is when Sipsy, who is the cook at the cafe and has been, you know, with the Threadgood family probably her entire life, says, "Oh, it don't make no kind of sense. Big ol' ox like Grady won't sit next to a colored child, but he eats eggs. Shoot right out of a chicken's ass." <laughs> uh, 
And then this is right after this, I think, is when the KKK comes, which is actually Frank Brent Bennett and all of his friends from Georgia, because he's really there to see Ruth and tell her she's going to come back. They are whipping Big George. Um, and that kind of puts into into play what's, you know, that he's going to try to come back and take them in the future. Right. Yeah. And I mean, basically... I mean, how long after this do we have that Frank does come back? I mean, it's not very long. I have it like next up in my notes is that he yeah, returns. Yeah, I think this is the, that it goes back to the um, point where Evelyn, the young women, um, pull into her parking spot. So she hits with her giant boat of a car. She hits their tiny, tiny oh, uh, right. VW bug and... Um, kind of like finally gets angry for the first time in her life. And that's when um, Nini tells her the story of, well, part, part of the story of what happens to Frank Bennett. So um, we, we see Frank Bennett come back and he steals Ruth's baby who is known as Buddy Threadgood Jr., which doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. Um, no, it really doesn't. Not even a whatever. little bit. Um, I mean, I guess he wouldn't, she wouldn't want him to be called Jameson or Bennett because then Frank would have known about right. him likely, but even so very weird. So that yeah. another like kind of lesbian undertone there because it's itchy thread good if she's kind of the father figure, whatever. Okay. So he tries to take the baby. He gets hit in the head with a frying pan, but we don't see who does that. Then very shortly after that, a uh, sheriff from... Uh, Georgia comes over, starts asking questions, tells Iggy, I know who you are. I know you threatened to kill him. If we find a body, you're going to jail. And fast forward five years later, um, you want to talk about what happens to Buddy Jr.? Um, I mean, I honestly, I don't know if I can like, re- I didn't like take it down in my notes, but it's like he loses his arm, but I don't even remember how. Well, it's it, they don't show much of it. One because they get because it was a kid, they didn't right. want to be super super gruesome, and it's also like not a gruesome movie. But he's on the train tracks playing just like his namesake, uh, Buddy Threadgood, that dies right. at the beginning of the movie. Somehow he gets hit by the train, but he only loses his arm. Right, and they start calling him Stump because. Iggy says right. everyone's going to call him that anyway. We may as well be the first. Right. So and then I, go oh, ahead. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, it's around this time. I mean, don't, doesn't Ruth talk to Iggy about leaving about like how she'd be better off if she, everybody'd be better off if oh, she just. Yeah. yeah. So this actually like right after uh, Frank came by and saw the baby during the KKK scene. Um, she tells Iggy. Okay. This. And then the, the buddy losing his arm happens what was supposed to be five years later. Okay. But again, very uh, relationship centric conversation there. Oh, that's heard. I, I found my note. It says buddy loses an arm to a train, I guess. That's all <laughs> I have. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And then very shortly after that, uh, Ruth gets sick. She gets cancer and she passes away probably only in her, I guess, early thirties at the most, probably not even that because like, I I would imagine she's probably supposed to be 18 or 20 when she gets married. Uh, You know, maybe it's a couple of years later, she gets pregnant and five years later. So she's probably in her late twenties at this point when she dies. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I really hope 
uh, I know you try to be more spoiler free than this, but um, I, oh, no. I uh, really just think that 30 year old movies, uh, nobody has any excuse. Watch the movie before you listen to the podcast if you're concerned. I can I can agree with that. So basically, I mean, where where are we at right now? We're at we're what's next? So then um, I think Evelyn goes to visit Ninny and they say the person in this room died. And right, and they aren't looks, saying who. Yep, and she thinks it's Ninny that died, but it's actually uh, Mrs. Otis, who was Ninny's roommate. And mm-hmm. they said, oh, Ninny went back home. You know, she didn't have to be here. She was just here for Mrs. Otis's sake. And, and so... It's important to mention that earlier in the movie, we learned that uh, Ninny doesn't have a home anymore because it was condemned. Yep. And that... You know, basically they tore it down. Yep. So it was too dangerous to live in. Yeah. And nobody bothers to tell Ninny because she's in this home and they don't, you know, really think about it. So Evelyn goes back to Whistle Stop and finds Ninny sitting in the middle of the road looking at where her house was supposed to be. Um, and Evelyn already had decided she wanted Ninny to come live with her and Ed and would take care of her. Ed's not happy about this, but. And our, uh, Evelyn's going to do it anyway. So right. you find out then too that Mrs. Otis is Sipsy, <clears throat> the cook at the Whistle Stop Cafe, uh, her sister. And mm-hmm. and then we learn that on Sipsy's deathbed, she tells Mrs. Otis and Ninny what really happened the night Frank Bennett died. Oh my God, we completely forgot about the entire trial. We did forget about the trial. I thought you were glossing over it. No, I wasn't intending to. So uh, they do find Frank Bennett's car uh, in the river. And that for some reason, that means that Iggy and Big George get arrested for murder. Um, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Right. That's how the law worked. Then you find somebody's Mm. car. uh, You threaten to kill somebody once upon a time, but there's no other evidence of it. But you get arrested and taken to Georgia. So, you know, they go through the trial. Iggy makes a couple of uh, outlandish remarks to the prosecutor and almost gets in contempt of court. Uh, and Reverend Scroggins comes up and testifies on Iggy's behalf, which throughout the entire movie, they've been kind of uh, enemies. But Reverend Scroggins comes up and says that both uh, Iggy and Big George were at the three day long revival that the church has. And so they couldn't have murdered frank bennett which now, is clearly a 24 hour long you know like every single day it's 24 hours of right, the church revival right. and they could never have gone anywhere and done anything <laughs> they didn't even get a bathroom break they didn't get anything no but also like i and at the end of it uh when the judge throws out dismisses the case because he says you know you don't have a body uh you've got a testimony from a, a preacher that nobody's gonna dispute like this this case is dismissed And Iggy comes up to Ruth afterward and says, you know, I can't believe that the Reverend uh, swore the oath on his own Bible. And Ruth says, well, if the judge had looked any closer, he'd have realized it was a copy of Moby Dick. Because obviously, Iggy knows he's lying because they weren't at the the revival. They're not churchgoers, whatever. Um, And Ruth apparently had promised the Reverend that Iggy would go to church from now on if he did this for her. Which doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. I think what it's supposed to be is that the Reverend recognizes that Iggy is a decent person. 
and did not kill Frank Bennett, or if she did, she was justified and should not go to jail for it, right? You were, she was right. protecting her friend who was being abused. He knows Ruth. He knows she's a good person and needed to get out of that situation. And, you know, this was justifiable homicide at minimum. Um, so maybe that's it. But I just thought that was really interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so, I mean, basically, like we have, it's it's like Sipsy killed him, right? Killed Frank Bennett? Yeah, so. Uh, I mean, she hit him with a frying pan and it killed him or that? Uh, yeah, a cast iron yeah. pan because um, he comes and takes the baby. So basically what happens is you, you see this, the repeat of the scene, but you see more of what happens. So right. Sipsy and Smokey Lonesome, Smokey comes out and tries to get Frank from leaving. Um, Sipsy hits him with a pan. It kills him because if you've ever picked up a cast iron pan it's it's heavy and it and she'd been lifting those things even though she was a tiny little woman been lifting those things her entire life and then you see a scene where big george and Iggy are talking about it and they're like you know you can't there's no way a jury would believe smoky lonesome who's a you know hobo drifter guy or a black female cook um right so big george and Iggy know that they will have to kind of take the blame if anything happens and then you find out that to get rid of the body, they barbecued Frank Bennett. Uh, yes. Big George runs the barbecue and the Curtis Smoot, the sheriff the from Georgia law, man. Yeah. yeah. The Georgia law man loves the barbecue and he keeps eating it. And Sipsy says to him, Oh, the secrets in the sauce. Uh, so that's the tagline for the movie is, you know, the secrets in the sauce, because I don't know that they actually, fed him to people but i bet that's right you know at yeah least it, a lot is it. left unknown i mean honestly they don't even really confirm mm-hmm. that they did barbecue him like they do but it's not like you know for sure it's not like you see them butcher up a body or something well there is a scene where like big george is like cutting up ribs and stuff like that and so you're left to believe that's what he's yeah. doing yeah but that's true. Um, so we learn all of that. Uh, and then uh, Evelyn tells Ninny, oh, you know, come home with me. They look over and on Ruth's grave is a jar of honey and a note. And you learn that Edgy is still alive. And there is this drives me freaking crazy is uh, they try to kind of make it seem like Ninny is Edgy. Yeah, which- they do. It's very confusing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that at all. So in the book, it's much more deliberate because there's, there's scenes with Ninny as a younger person too. It's not just Ruth and Iggy and those few people like Ninny is involved in that. But in this, like she's married to uh, Iggy's brother, Cleo. That's how she's a thread good. You know, she's got all this inside information because she was around. Um, It's yeah, just, it doesn't make sense. And I don't know why they make it seem that way i just think it was kind of poor direction yeah and and so we get you know basically the explanation of like the town being closed down because of you know the train not coming by anymore and people just kind of you know closing up shop and stuff and i said that the reason the train probably stopped coming through was because of Iggy's malfeasance (laughs) <laughs> and just her tossing things off the train. It's probably not very profitable for that. So yeah, yeah. I would assume. But yeah, um, you know, some some things. I mean, did you have anything else you want to talk about plot wise? 
Uh, no, I think we've covered it in this okay. hour long dis- discussion. Yeah, it has it has run a little long. We've still got another movie to do. How exciting! Uh, so I like the simplicity of this story and like how it's also it's like two simple stories combined into one more complex story, I guess, is how I want to put it. Um, And the echoing of one story within another, Mm -hmm. it just, it's really cool the way they do it. I, of course, love the accents. I'm a big, I'm a big accent man, if you know what I mean. And um, the music, as I mentioned, is fucking solid. The scoring Mm -hmm. is amazing. And it's, it's got a pretty satisfying ending, I would say. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it leaves you, you don't, you don't have a bad taste in your mouth or anything like that or feeling like you wanted more. Yeah, absolutely. I think acting stellar, uh, Jessica Tandy won an Oscar for best supporting actress. Uh, I, I looked it up and I don't think any of the other three main actresses were nominated for Academy Awards. Um, which I thought was surprising. I, I thought for a Kathy Bates, she would be. Um, I can understand kind of the the newness of Mary Stuart Masterson and Mary Louise Parker at that point, maybe, you know, didn't warrant it. Um, which, I think it also won Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, which is with, why, it's why the Academy Awards suck though, because right. it's like a good performance is a good performance. Like I don't need an established actress. If it's the first time I've ever seen her and she puts on an Academy Award winning performance, she deserves yeah. it. Yeah, I I don't watch this movie a lot because it's tense, right? Like you, you mentioned simplicity. I actually think it's pretty complex in the undertones that it has with, you know, kind of the the feminist aspects of uh, Evelyn's journey, um, dealing with kind of a midlife crisis with some of the... Um, kind of scenes in the nursing home where you can see people are kind of treated as afterthoughts once they're older. Uh, and then, right. you know, obviously spousal abuse and uh, LBGT uh, themes throughout. Uh, so I, I think it kind of hits a lot of those, those things. And so it's kind of heavy in that respect. And I don't watch it as often because of that, because I don't, I don't need that kind of complexity in my life any more than my life already has. That's fair. I could see that. Um, my only criticism for the movie was that it was, there was just like one or two slow spots where I was just kind of like, all right, what's going on now? Like what, when's something going to happen? You know, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe oh, it was really? just what? me. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what parts? Um, I guess like it felt, it's felt slow in the times between like when, when Ruth moves away mm-hmm. and you know, you get, and you keep getting Evelyn is dealing with Ed plopping down in this, you know, little easy yeah. chair. And it's like, maybe not slow, but it was just like, okay, I need something to happen with this because like, how, how long are we going to keep seeing this happening well, think, where Ed's coming home? And so what, what I noticed in that, especially this last rewatch, and maybe it's because I'm older now and whatever, but like what I noticed is how in the reason those scenes I think are happening, especially with Ed and Evelyn is to show Evelyn's change over time. Yeah. Because as she true. says later in the movie, she said, I was taught not to get angry. It's bad manners. And you can see her over time where at the beginning, she's just kind of accepting it and it is what it is. And over time, it's like, damn it, this is not acceptable. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. I can I can I can appreciate that response. So I guess I mean, did you have anything anything particularly negative that you noticed? Nope, stellar, wonderful, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So for casting notes, I have that Susan Sarandon was considered for the role of Evelyn Couch, which by the way, IMDb, every fucking time I see you put was considered for the role, I have no idea what that means. Did they audition? Were they on a short list? Or were they just like a name that got thrown out and like, what the fuck ever? (laughs) Uma Thurman auditioned for the role of Iggy Threadgood. And if she would have gotten it, I don't know how that would have been. It would have been, I'm not sure I would have been a fan of it. But I don't even know if she can do a Southern accent. That would have been the tipping point for me is if she couldn't do a Southern accent, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. And you know, for this, and we'll talk a little bit about this too with the next movie, but like, I thought everybody did pretty good accent. I mean, obviously I'm not from Alabama, so I can only, you know, base this on movies (laughs) or people I know, but. Well, it's like whenever I talk to you and how things just trail (laughs) off all the time and I just keep saying things. That's, That's what I kept thinking every time with this movie. So some trivia. So Mary Stuart Masterson did all of the B stunts herself because her double quit last minute, as we mentioned. Director John Avnet referred to Mary Louise Parker as Lou and Mary Stuart Masterson as Stu on the set because their names are so similar. He had to say them and he had to say them so often. Um, in wow. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit, like where. Yeah. Mary Louise Parker, Mary Stuart Masterson, and Fanny Flagg all wanted to depict the lesbian relationship, but the director didn't want to. Um, And the only thing he thinks he really did was the food fight was an analogy for a love scene. Um, Right. But I honestly think that conversation we were talking about where Ruth is telling Iggy she thinks she needs to move on and leave and whatever. That's, that's more of a specific, like, I don't know, romantic sort of thing. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, in the special features on the DVD, the director states that Aretha Franklin's voice was dubbed into the soundtrack for the gospel singer in the church scene, which I was like, couldn't you just get somebody that could sing well enough? The church scene is, I don't, I think a deleted scene. No, it's in there. At least the scene that I, I, they're talking about, the one where Evelyn and uh, Ninny go. Right. That was not in the original cut of the movie. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I mean, that was on the, the cut you gave me. Oh, okay. At least well, I think. Maybe, maybe I have. Maybe, maybe, no, no. I watched it on, uh, I watched it on something else. What the hell else did I watch it on? There, you might anyway. have watched the special features or something, because I'm pretty sure that was a deleted scene. Yeah. Okay. So the IMDb nugget of choice for today is... Ed asks Evelyn how she could hit someone six times by accident, but she only rammed the the red Volkswagen bug four times. My goodness, I'm so glad that there are people out there, you know, counting, seeking justice. And, you know, they really want to make sure that people aren't, you know, right. Fucking around with their numbers. Okay. Info and ratings. Runtime, 136 (laughs) minutes. Budget, 11 million. Worldwide gross, 119.4 million. IMDb rating 7.7, Rotten Tomato Critics score 75%, Rotten Tomato Audience score 91%, Personal rating 4.5 out of 5 stars. What do you think, Michelle? I don't think I have to. Oh, okay. You don't you don't want to just say 5 out of 5. Is, yeah, this is 5 out of 5 for me. I mean, this is these two movies I think are my two favorite movies of all time, so Oh, wow. Okay. 
Yeah. So I guess we should chug right along because we're at hour 23 of recording time and or one hour and 23 minutes of recording time. Please don't get that twisted. Okay. So Steel Magnolias came out on November 15th, 1989, directed by Herbert Ross, who also directed The Goodbye Girl. Footloose, which is a personal favorite movie of mine. I don't know why. I just love me some Footloose. (laughs) My Blue Heaven and Boys on the Side with Connective Tissue. Oh, yeah. Boys on the Side, Mary Stuart Masterson, and this director, The Connective Tissue. Anyway... My and Blue Heaven the is Michelle and Brandon Griffith's sibling connection uh, to our mom watching that movie all the damn time. That's true. Yes, that is fair. Um, My Blue Heaven is a movie with Steve Martin and I believe Rick Moranis. Mm. It, like a lot of Steve Martin movies, they're pretty hit and miss. Right. Uh, writer Robert Harling, producer, no notable producers, soundtrack score composed by. George's Delarue, which is a Southern name if I've ever heard one. <laughs> and, um, or is it, is it a Southern name or is it like it, a foreign name? No, it's, it's probably, it could be, uh, like Creole, right? Like the French Southern. Oh yes. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. And then, so our lead okay. actress, oh, oh, go ahead. Uh, one thing. So the writer, Robert Harling, this is, uh, he wrote the play. Um, that this movie came from, and it was based on uh, his sister. So another uh, sibling thing here, brother wrote it about his sister. Uh, now brother has podcast sisters on talking about said movie. So Wow, so much, so much connective tissue. I can't even handle it. Sally Field, who I'm going to be pointing out each and every one of these names individually, Malin Eatonton, mm-hmm. okay, she was in Smokey and the Bandit, Norma Ray, Homeward Bound, Mrs. Doubtfire, Forrest Gump, The Amazing Spider-Man, and Lincoln. She's also in Gidget, uh, the TV show in the 60s, I think it was. And, oh, The uh, Flying Nun. The Flying Nun. Um, and uh, one of my friends in elementary school al- always said that I looked like a young Sally Field. Um, and... I'll take it, whatever. Um, but I know you're going to probably go into this a little bit later, but this character's name is Malin and that's M apostrophe L Y N N. Yes. Don't understand. Just, I mean, what's it short for? It's not short for anything. It's just Malin. All right. Um, so we've got, uh, next up is Dolly Parton who plays the character Truvy T R U V Y Jones. She was in 9 to 5, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Straight Talk, and a personal favorite of mine called Rhinestone. Do you know what's so great about Rhinestone, Michelle? I don't. Rhinestone is a movie with Dolly Parton and Sylvester Stallone where Oh, that's right. I she remember. She teaches you. him how to ta- how to sing. And that's he is, right. And he's a terrible way, singer Would you, you, you would you believe that. would you believe that Sylvester Stallone is a terrible <laughs> singer? I anyway. I can't believe it. Okay, so we've got Shirley MacLaine, who plays Louisa Weezer, O-U-I-S-E-R, Bordreau. And I did not know that was short for Louisa until I was much older. They mention it very slightly. Yeah, they do. They're they're not very pronounced about it. I didn't catch it, and I was just like, I thought they they spelled it like W-E-E-Z-E-R, like the band. 
I was right. like, why are they calling this old woman Weezer? That just seems bizarre, but. Right. So she was in The Trouble with Harry, which was her first ever movie. And it's, as noted, my least favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie ever made. Mm. And she was in The Apartment, which was pretty solid. It's a Billy Wilder movie. Um, and she was in Terms of Endearment. I know that you've got to have at least a couple others that you can think of that she was in. Yeah. So most recently she was in uh, Only Murders in the Building, which a uh, TV show oh, yes. on Hulu. Really enjoy it. Steve uh, Martin she, and who else is in that with him? Martin Short and Martin Selena Short. Gomez. And if you can okay. get past Selena Gomez not moving her lips when she talks, um, it's enjoyable. Okay. Um, and then before that, she was in um, uh, Downton Abbey. She was Cora Grantham's mother, her American mother, in a few episodes. Wow. She's been, okay. a, she's been in a ton of stuff, but. Oh, absolutely. She's She's been around a long time. Um, so Julia Roberts plays the character Shelby Eatonton Latchery. And I have quite a few movies for Julia Roberts here, but Mystic Pizza, Pretty Woman, Sleeping with the Enemy, Hook, My Best Friend's Wedding, Conspiracy Theory, Stepmom, Notting Hill, um, Runaway Bride, Aaron Brockovich, Ocean's Eleven. I mean, all the Ocean's Eleven movies, actually. Mm -hmm. And then Eat, Pray, Love. And I mean, I know that there are others, but in the interest of time, I think unless you have something that you major want to jump on. Okay, so... Olympia Dukakis plays Clary, C-L-A-I-R-E-E. And then Daryl Hannah plays Anel, who is just, you know, I, I don't know Daryl Hannah. I don't, other than this movie, I have no frame of reference. And I've heard her name a thousand times. So she's in um, Splash with Tom Hanks. She Which I never saw. Mermaid. Yeah. Um, she's in the Kill Bill movies. She looks completely freaking different. Okay, that'd um, be why. Yeah, she doesn't even look like the same person in my mind. Olympia Dukakis, I thought she was in. She was in um, Mood Lighting with Cher. Um, yeah, she, I think she was, and she was in Mr. Holland's Opus, which mm-hmm. I recently yeah. recorded an episode on that yeah. I know you're not a fan of. So I guess getting right down to brass tacks, what do we have for a plot synopsis on this one? All right, so um, this is about. Uh, Several women who are friends with each other. Dolly Parton's character, Truvy, Warren's hair salon, and uh, they all kind of meet up there. Uh, Julia Roberts is the daughter of Sally Field's character, and um, she is diabetic. And the movie starts on her wedding day, and it you know, it's really focused on the relationship between these women, their support of each other and getting through the difficulties specifically with uh, Shelby, Julia Roberts characters, uh, diabetes. And what I really love about this movie is the one liners throughout it. Oh, absolutely. That's the best part of this movie for me. You know, I mean, I've, I've probably seen it a hundred times and it still like had me laughing and I started watching it and I actually stopped it and made Dan watch it with me later because I was like, I know you've never seen this, but I, and he actually like was, you know, sorting cards or something at the table while he was watching, but I could, you know, hear him laugh a couple of times. So that's interesting. A couple of like major kind of plot things to think about here that are interesting. Every major scene takes place during a holiday um it starts easter weekend when um shelby's wedding is and there's a whole you know kind of craziness with with shelby's wedding 
and they're going to Truby's to get their hair done. You meet all of the characters through that and kind of get a sense of their uh, backgrounds. So Sally Field works at a counseling center. Olympia Dukakis is the former first lady of the town. Um, So she's really involved in kind of the community and she ends up buying a radio station later in the film. Shirley McLean is kind of the old curmudgeon um, who has been friends with Clary, uh, Olympia Dukakis's character, most of their lives. Uh, but, you know, she's she's a jerk. She's terrible uh, in a lot of ways, but got a good heart. Uh, Dolly Parton plays Truvy, who is the hairstylist, who's married to Sam Shepard, uh, whose name is Spud in the movie, another awesome name. He, you know, kind of does like construction work and stuff. So he's constantly out of work. And so she's supporting him. Their son's a disaster. You have Daryl Hannah, who plays Anel, who is hired the day of the wedding uh, to work at Truvy's shop with her. Tom Skirrett plays Drum Eatonton, who's Sally Field's husband and Julia Roberts' father. Um, Dylan McDermott plays Jackson, Julia Roberts' fiance, later husband. Another note of casting uh, Janine Turner, who you may remember from Northern Exposure, who actually runs a thing called Constituting America that I've actually uh, written for um, in the past. Uh, so. Neat connection. She plays Nancy Beth Marmillion, who is the niece of Clary, Olympia Dukakis's character. And, um, you know, she's crowned Miss Mary, uh, Merry Christmas and ends up losing her crown because she and somebody uh, were in a hotel room high and had her tinsel down around her knees, is the line. So, trying to. I do want to mention that. Tom Skerritt in a bucket, like a lime green bucket hat is a real look. (laughs) It's quite the look. Yeah. And he wears it at a few, few times. Um, Yeah, he does. So he's funny because he's trying to get all the birds out of the trees because they're having the reception um, in their backyard. Uh, Sally Field and Tom Skerritt uh, are having the reception in the backyard. There's all this stuff that is happening. um, You know, it's going wrong the day of the wedding. Everything kind of goes okay during that that first kind of scene where you see all of them together shelby has too much insulin and she has an attack uh where she has to get juice and kind of go uh get her insulin levels back down i obviously i understand that like there are huge problems if you don't have enough insulin or too much insulin but i didn't know that like you'd react like that um, yeah, I didn't realize that either. It seems it seems more of like a like it's not the physical reaction that makes sense, but like her why like she's so adamant about fighting it. I guess I don't know. It it just it was a really it's a it's a an intense scene, but it's really bizarre. Then uh, you find out that Shelby can't have children because of her diabetes, and that she and Jackson. Uh, got in a fight because she thinks that Jackson's throwing away his chance to have children. If he marries her, they get married anyway. And, you know, we flash forward six, eight months to Christmas time. Shelby and Jackson come back into town. They're at the the town festival. <clears throat> um, you see that Anel has 
completely updated her look from the, you know, dowdy, mousy glasses wearing to, you know, having a new hairstyle and new clothes and wearing contacts and all of this sort of stuff. So you kind of see the the change in her character. And then you find out that Shelby is pregnant and you learn too that it wasn't that Shelby couldn't have children. It was that her doctor recommended that she shouldn't have children. Um, and it's a really deep and emotional scene between Sally Field and Julia Roberts because Sally Field is considering her own daughter and is saying, you know, hey, this is going to be really hard on your body. You know, you might not survive this. What are you doing? There are other options. Whereas Julia Roberts is saying, you know, no judge is going to give a baby to somebody with my medical record. And um, I'd rather have 30 minutes of wonderful than a lifetime of nothing special. Having gone through fertility treatments and all of this sort of stuff that kind of hit hit me a little bit, whereas I actually thought like my decision was the opposite, right? Was like, well, this isn't working. And I want my life to be full overall. I don't want this to be the only thing that I'm relying on. Um, yeah, so that was that's, that's kind of an interesting, you know, way to look at it now as an adult. Then flash forward, you get to uh, Shelby uh, has the baby. It's the one year birthday of the baby. So you were flashing forward quite a bit, which is on around the 4th of July. Um, Shelly or Shelby goes and gets her hair cut with Malin, gets it cut short so that she can, you know, take care of the baby named Jack Jr. after his father. And they learn that Shelby's had dialysis because her kidneys are failing after having given birth. Again, did like there's there's these like kind of track marks up Shelby's arms from the dialysis. I didn't yeah. know that was the case. I I if, is that true? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I did never heard of that being like it. It looks pretty gnarly. I mean, it's right. It's pretty aggressive. So then you find out that Shelby has to have a kidney transplant, and that her mother, uh, Malin, is going to donate a kidney to her. Meanwhile, uh, you know, Truvy's husband Spud is still not working. Things aren't going well between them. Clary buys the radio station. She's doing, you know, stuff with that and kind of getting things going. Um, Anel is dating guy she met at Shelby's wedding, <clears throat> and uh, they're getting married soon. And then Shirley McLean Weezer is starting to date a guy she went to high school with. Um, so, you know, kind of background sort of stuff, but the main focus of the plot is on Malin and, and Shelby and their relationships. Next part is uh, Halloween time. This is when Anel and her boyfriend Sammy are getting married. So they throw her uh, a shower, like a monster motif shower. Shelby can't make it. She's working. Um, and then... You see Shelby at home getting Jack Jr. ready for Halloween. So she's dressed him up in his costume. Um, You can tell she starts to feel bad and collapses. And when her husband Jackson gets home, you know, the pots are boiling over um, the, you know, she's laying on the the floor um, with the phone next to her off the hook and the baby's screaming and crying. And then she is in a coma 
And in the hospital, her mother never leaves her side the entire time. And spoiler alert, uh, they end up removing her from life support and she passes away. And epic scene at the funeral where her mother, you know, talks through. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say she, I mean, she has, she's kind of trying to understand why this has happened and, you know, what, how she can look at it, you know, as anything but a horrible thing, basically. I mean, Mm -hmm. she just keeps going. And I mean, she's, she's angry, you know, she's rightfully angry. She's very sad. She's just, she's so upset. And I mean, it's, yeah, and everybody's crying. You're crying as a, the viewer. The All the women standing at the grave are crying. And Clary, because one of the lines is, that Sally Field says is, I just want to hit somebody. I want to hit somebody until they feel as bad as I do. And Clary pushes Weezer in front of her and says, here, hit this. We'll sell t-shirts that sell that say, I smacked Weezer Boudreaux. And uh, it makes everybody laugh and kind of breaks okay. the tension. And you learn that Anel is pregnant and she is going to name the baby Shelby because that's how she and her husband met. And that kind of, oh, then at the end of the movie, they're at Easter again, kind of full circle. And um, Anel goes into labor and everybody runs off to get her to the hospital. Okay. So I do, I have, I have a couple of notes to add here um, really quick. Um, first off at the, at the end of the movie, I see that, that I think it's Shelby's son running and he's got like a little, little bow tie on. Mm-hmm. And I've never thought like if, if somebody's not wearing a, a tuxedo, I have never looked at somebody wearing a bow tie and thought looking good. You know, like <laughs> I never once thought that I always thought it looked stupid to have a I bow tie on. You live in the Midwest and I, I I think of where I live in Virginia as the South, but most Southern people do not. But bow ties are a bigger thing in the South. Uh, okay, I guess that makes sense. Um, I got a couple of quotes I'd like to... Yes, me too. Um, so Dolly Parton's character, Truvy, says early on in the movie, I used to have one referring to an alarm clock, but I slammed it against the wall when I couldn't figure out where the batteries went. But I know now I was suffering from premenstrual syndrome. <laughs> and then I'll um one light one I really liked was it was very applicable to life throughout is um uh, it'll be pretentious. And daddy always said an ounce of pretension is worth a pound of manure, which is <laughs> fucking great. Like I just really like that quote. What what you got some over there, you said? Yeah, so uh Shelby finds a box of condoms in the closet that she learns her brothers are going to decorate her getaway car for the wedding in. And Malin yells out at them, don't you decorate your sister's car with condoms? It's tacky. <laughs> like she screams this across the neighborhood, right? Like right, that. exactly. There's a another one when Truvy and Anel are first meeting uh, Truvy, Dolly Parton says, uh, I, you know, I live by this philosophy. There's no such thing as, as natural beauty. Just look at me and Elle. It takes some effort to look like this. <laughs> um, I use the, the term, his coffee kicked in quite a bit. Uh, oh yeah. Drum run into the house. Like he's going to shit his pants and grab a piece of the newspaper. And when Malin comes in to look for him, the kids say, Oh, his coffee kicked in. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, another one of Drum's uh, one-liners that I liked was uh, when 
Weezer comes over with her dog who now has a nervous con- condition because Drum keeps shooting to try to get rid of all the birds in the house or around mm-hmm. the house. And it's, you know, freaking Weezer's dog out. And she's taken the dog to the vet. And the vet's name is Whitey Black, which I thought was weird. <laughs> um, but Drum says, Whitey Black is a moron. I'm not sure he even has opposable thumbs. <laughs> that was a, a good one. That's pretty solid. Uh, so one thing about, you know, like the line at the end of this movie where Sally Field says, I find it amusing. Men are supposed to be made out of steel or something. And obviously that's like the title of the movie, Steel Magnolias, you know. But the way our mother always pronounced this movie's name when we were younger, and I don't know why, maybe it's because I didn't have a frame of reference for the flower, but she would say it Magnolias, like ISS at the end like it didn't make any sense I yeah I think it's just one of those you know like apostrophe yeah right there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things my mom says (laughs) that I call her on a lot so yeah Um, so um uh, I was going to say, too, now having lived in the South, um, we had a magnolia tree at our last house, and I'm quite sure that magnolias don't bloom around Easter. They bloom at really, really random times, but wow. one of the scenes is that they're putting uh, in the early movie, which is supposed to be around Easter, they're taking magnolias and throwing them in the pool so that you know that looks nice and Weezer says did you get those magnolias out of my tree and Drum says the judge hasn't decided whose tree that is yet so obviously there's in case you hadn't figured it out Drum and Weezer have a kind of rivalry going on right um so you know it's really funny I go back and forth between these two movies as to which one's my favorite right now Steel Magnolias is actually my my favorite of the two and I think I think it really is the dialogue for me yeah Um, the story for fried green tomatoes is better, but I really like the dialogue and I think there's um, yeah, just a lot of very witty things and it shows women in a light that like they can be funny and they can be crass and in ways that you don't see very often. And, you know, kind of shows that that mother daughter relationship of, you know, arguing, but loving each other. Um, and then the power of, of friendship too. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say the one liners in this movie rule all. And then the, I mean, obviously the performances are really good. Mm-hmm. The, the characters are very well developed. Uh, I mean, all in all, I had a good time watching this movie. I really did. It was it was, you know, obviously you get to the, toward the end and there's, you know, a lot of serious stuff going on, you know, and it's not very lighthearted anymore. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of the way it's got to be. And but I really I really did enjoy it. I, I thought it was really good. This one I had definitely not seen every scene of because I had mm-hmm. I only knew that Shelby died at the end. I did not oh. know <laughs> that like I didn't know how it happened. You know, like I knew no. she died. What's up? This is this is the thing, and I think I mentioned this to you in the recent past, where our dad would always say, oh, yeah, Steel Magnolias, that's the one where Julia Roberts has cancer. And I'm like, no, dad, she doesn't have cancer. She's diabetic. Oh, right, right, right. But then she gets cancer. No, dad, she never has cancer. She's always a diabetic. That, like, I he like, just never. I really like that distinction that he makes. Where you would say, no, she doesn't have cancer. She's a diabetic. And he says, oh, right, but she's a diabetic and she gets cancer. As if you wouldn't say, no, dad, she's a diabetic that gets cancer. It's like, 
Right. Another another good quote that I forgot to mention is I'm not crazy. I've just been in a very bad mood for 40 years. Right. That one's that one's a solid. um, Oh, what's her Shirley MacLaine one. And (laughs) you know, you know what they say. If you don't have anything nice to say about anybody, come Come sit sit by me. me. Yep. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So uh, I don't know what is your kind of full first full run through um, what we're Obviously, like you said, it gets heavy, but I do like that they kind of break that with the the laughter and comedy, but not in a slapstick sort of way, I guess. Right. Yeah. No, I it agree with that. It seems like it could legitimately happen. Right. It's very realistic, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I would say that that's, it was, it was very well delivered on my first run through. It was, it was pretty solid. But we do have uh, casting notes. First one, Meg Ryan was initially under contract to play Shelby, but the producers let her out of it to play Sally in When Harry Met Sally. I love When Harry Met Sally. I know you don't feel as strongly about it as I do, but I'm glad the stars aligned. Absolutely. I think Julia Roberts made more sense for this movie and Meg Ryan made more sense for When Harry Met Sally, right? Like, Right, right. And Winona Ryder was originally offered the role of Shelby, Although the producers were charmed by Ryder, they had ultimately considered her too young for the part, which good call producers, because I don't think that that was the real reason you didn't want to have one. <laughs> but um, so a little bit of trivia. Sally Field and Shirley, Shirley MacLaine said in an interview that Herbert Ross was very difficult to work with, telling the main lead actress actresses that they couldn't act and singing and singling out Julia Roberts in particular to the point that she was left in tears. Apparently Ross's wife had died in 1987 and that had something to do with it. But I'm like, I don't, I think that that's kind of like a a thing to blame it on. Like, I don't think that that's a real reason to treat somebody like shit. Well, and it across the board, right. And you've got some pretty high caliber actors here, even if this is a very early role for Julia Roberts, like got Sally Field, Shirley MacLaine, Olivia Dukakis, like they're nothing to... No, um, all right. And I, I read something somewhere where apparently he said something similar to Dolly Parton, you know, like, oh, you can't act. And like, she wasn't an actor, right? Like she's gotten better over the years, right? But like, right. I think she does a decent job in this movie, but she tells him, yeah, that's that's why you're here to make it seem like I can act. <laughs> right. Which exactly. I thought was a pretty good response. Like, yeah, it sounds like a very Dolly Parton response. Right. I mean, right. Uh, she's not where she is today for not doing some of that. Right. So the original play has no onstage roles for men. The characters spend a great deal of time talking about men in their lives, but no male characters even appear on stage. It doesn't surprise me. There wasn't, I mean, honestly, it's very minimal that the men are in. Right. And you can see them lifting right out and just having more scenes where they're talking about what the men are doing than actually I understand too that like for a movie, it would be really weird to not have them. Like if you're in a stage play, right? Like you've got one set, they're probably mostly in the hair salon. um, So that makes sense. Um, Right. But yeah. 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 Um, so I guess, I mean, unless you got anything else, I can run into the uh, the info and ratings stuff. Let's do it. All right. So runtime, 118 minutes. Budget, $15 million. Worldwide gross, $96.8 million. IMDb rating, 7.3. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 68%. 
Rotten Tomato audience score, 89%. Personal rating, 4.5 out of 5 stars. And I'm assuming you're you're a 5 out of 5. I am. Why? So of these, like what, what was missing from them that made you a 4.5 instead of a 5 or lower? <sighs> I, I hate to say this because it's going to sound bad, but it's like, it's like a gut thing. Like a... Mm-hmm. I just kind of feel, or I felt as I was, I think, I think the worst part about the movies for me is I probably, I'll be honest with you, I would have given them five out of five stars, but I had them so ruined for me. And like, I didn't get to get the real storytelling. You know what I mean? Like, I I love to go into a movie where I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. And it's like, if I, if I go into Steel Magnolias and I already know this chick that's having a diabetic fit is going to die before the end of the movie it takes something away from me. You know what I mean? It's just like there's anticipation building and it's not anybody's fault, but you know, my mom's, but you know, so. <laughs> well, I don't I know mean, why your five-year-old self didn't sit down and watch these movies. Yeah, I don't either. It's very perplexing. But, um, yeah. I was surprised that you didn't do them in uh, order of release, um, but you know, that's so, just my... Usually you'll find that the movie I talk about first is the one I have the most to say about. Okay. And I had way more because like, aside from like the one liners and stuff that the plot was a little more one dimensional in Steel Magnolias. Mm -hmm. And so it was a little less difficult to dive into. And so I figured, okay, I'll, I'll lead off with fried green tomatoes and see where, you know, where that takes us. And it yeah. took us into an hour and 25 minutes. True, true. And then so, this is, you know, much shorter. So that makes exactly sense. right. So but yeah, I uh, well, I guess I mean, I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, gabbing about about these chick flicks. Yeah, really appreciate to, it uh, to join. Happy to be your first guest. Uh, and looking forward to seeing where you go in the future and joining again in the future as well. Absolutely. Be happy to have you. All right. And I think that's all we got. Have a good day. Bye, all. Bye. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr. 